bear with me. I'm learning. But um, I have some things that the Lord has put on my heart about worship that, um, if you didn't know, I love worship. That's why I'm here almost every week except when I'm out of town or deathly ill, which thankfully hasn't happened. Um, And I do that, and we do that, this whole team does that, because we're passionate about worship. And I want to try to express some of that passion to you and hopefully also impart some of it to you. Um, We're doing a corporate fast right now, which means corporate, all of us. Fast means abstaining. And we're abstaining from something in our lives that might be distracting us in our relationship with God or maybe just takes up time. And we want to just set that aside for a little while and put something else in its place. So I took, um, I asked at my community group this week, hey, what are you guys doing for the fast? Because it's always nice to hear what people are doing. We can keep each other accountable. And it gives us good ideas if we haven't thought of anything yet. So if you haven't thought of anything yet, here's some random ideas from my community group members. Um, One of them likes to watch movies on the Internet uh, using Hulu in the evenings. Uh, after the kids go to bed. So the kids go to bed, and then mom and dad can, you know, hang out and watch Hulu. They're going to not do that in the evenings. They have some prayer to do for their future and just have some different activities other than that normal thing that they do. Break up the routine, remove something to create time and space for prayer and relationship with God. Um, One of my other group members is abstaining from fast food. Very challenging for this particular person. Um, They really like fast food. They really like hamburgers. And instead of that, when they are desperate for a hamburger, they will be praying, God, make me desperate for you. Another person um, ends up just kind of killing time on the Internet, just really not on anything in particular, just a little bit here and there. And they've cut that out in the evenings after they get home from work. And they have a a book that they're reading that's interesting to them. And then they're also reading scripture. They're alternating that every other evening. Uh, Personally, I ride the bus to work. I park right near here at Ingram Mall. There's a big hub. And then I ride the bus about 45 minutes downtown and then 45 minutes back in the afternoons. And some of that time, I love to read, especially nonfiction. I like to learn about certain subjects. And I'll kind of go a year with a really hot topic for me and I'll read 10 or 15 books on the subject and by the end of the year I'm like yeah I know all about this I'm so passionate so don't ask me about one of those things because you will get stuck listening (laughs) to me give you my passion Um, and I felt like the Lord has asked me this year to make that worship I've uh, maybe this is a humbling thing this is a humbling thing for me to say but I don't know how many years that I've been leading worship here at this church, but I never wanted to. I kind of got, in my opinion, stuck doing it when all the other worship leaders left one at a time, and there was nobody left. Um, And our church was smaller than it is now, and there weren't a lot of options. Um, I played piano for a long time, sang background vocals here and there, but the idea of leading worship was never something that I dreamed of doing one of these days. And here I am, and I think that's the mentality with which I've been leading worship at this church, is I'm just here, I'm filling a spot. I'm not unhappy to be here. I'm grateful. I know the Lord loves worship, and I'm glad to be facilitating that for you all, but it hasn't been my thing, and it hasn't been something that I've studied and done all that stuff I described to make myself passionate and fired up and have tools and resources and everything else. 
and um, the Lord's asking me to change that this year. So in the mornings on the bus when I'm going to work, I'm reading one psalm per day. I read through it from beginning to end, and then I stop and find a certain attribute or characteristic or something about God that sticks out to me, and I pray that piece. It was an idea in a worship-leading book that I'm reading right now, which is what I do on my way home on the bus. So uh, that's a time when I used to do something I wanted to do, and I'm just using it um, for what God wants me to do right now. So the goal of our corporate fast is to draw us closer to God personally. Um, The byproduct, which is always just totally gets me excited every year, is the effect on all of us. Um, when we come together and have this dedicated time of focusing and looking at God and, and adoring him and making space in our lives for him, people have gotten financial freedom, they have gotten promotions at work, they have gotten new homes, they have gotten all kinds of things, seen people get saved, been able to witness to somebody when they're not used to doing that. That is the byproduct of us all corporately coming together and doing this thing together. So if you're not doing it, even if you think it's stupid, I don't care. Please do something. Because you are affecting, hold on. You are affecting other people around you. Um, and so if you don't do it for yourself, do it for them. All right. Um, we are doing the Lord's Prayer, as studying the Lord's Prayer during this particular fast. And um, I am doing the beginning, which is our Father who art in heaven, hallow it be your name. Benjamin, would you play that song, please? It's just called Lord's Prayer. Father in heaven, hallow it be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins, Lord, as we forgive those who sin against us. Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Because we say, Yours and yours alone is the kingdom, is the power, is the glory. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Forever, oh, forever and ever, forever. Amen. you, that we would experience just a taste of your kingdom and your power and your glory here today. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the beginning of this is our Father. Uh, This establishes the relationship between the speaker and the spoken to. Uh, God chooses the word Father here. Uh, Sometimes we hear that say Abba. In this case, the Greek is pater. It means 
a literal father, a blood father. It also means a forefather or an initiator, a source, um, or a revered person. So this is a, a tender, intimate word that Jesus chose to say, this is our father, this is a child, this is a personal, intimate relationship. That's how we begin this prayer. We need to know who we're praying to. And that's the, the first uh, words here. After that, we get to who art in heaven. This establishes the location. Where is this father? He is in heaven. Um, he's in heaven. Again, contrast, we're here on earth. That means that he sees things, that he's aware of things, that he has this big picture mentality outside of time, outside of space, that we really miss. This is why it's so easy for us to get consumed with our, our various troubles and get all bogged down in that and have a hard time looking up and seeing God our Father because we're down on earth, we're in time, we're in space. He's not. He's in heaven. He's outside of that. Um, so we have our Father, close, close and tender, who art in heaven, big, majestic, awesome, way super huger than us and more powerful and stronger than us. And we need those two perspectives to give us the balanced image of God as we begin this prayer. Um, the word heaven here is uranus or uranios, I think. I'm probably saying it with a Spanish accent because that's the only other language besides English I'm used to hearing in my life. But I played the little audio file and it kind of sounded like that. So I don't know. Maybe they had a Hispanic background too. Uh, this means having divine origin. The people that Jesus is talking to would have understood this particular word, uranios, as both a literal place and a figurative place. Uh, they had a concept of a big heaven, clouds. Um, they pictured it more of a, a building, like with pillars, um, sparkly marble stuff everywhere. But they also had an image of the cosmos and this otherly worldly place we don't totally understand, but it's there. Um, and that's where all the gods lived. If you were in the Roman times, you had a lot of Greek culture behind you, and all of the gods resided in the heavens. Uh, it was this big place where they just looked down and said, you know, you're going to die now, and you are going to get lots of money, and you have not been in the temple often enough having sex with the prostitute that lives in the temple, so get in there, and I don't like you until you do that. So this was the mentality they had of God. Really scary. Um, the Jews obviously did not have this mentality of God, and they, they were picturing an Abba Father um, that Jesus was, was describing there. Uh, another really interesting thing that stuck out to me, they, the Jews perceived heaven as the place of salvation. Because they were still under the law, the, the, this earth was, was doing what God had asked them, of, asked them to do, but it was not a place of salvation. Heaven was. Uh, we get to experience, because of Jesus, salvation here on this earth, and thankfully, but we will experience it to a greater degree in heaven. Um, so that's, that's the beginning. Our Father who art in heaven. We move on from that to hallowed be your name or thy name if you're familiar with the King James translation. Uh, our English definition of hallowed is to be held in reverence, regarded and treated as holy. Uh, the your name is interesting. It's not so much a name like we think of it like my name is Joy Elizabeth Crompton. There, the names were, names were very important to the Jewish culture. Uh, but saying the name of God meant God revealed, God manifested. Uh, so it wasn't 
you write it on a piece of paper. It was expressing his being and his person as you spoke his name. You were invoking his presence and his outpouring. Um, in a personal sense, this, for prayer, this request, Hallowed be your name, is it's not really asking God to be holy because he already is. That's one of the definitions of God is God is love, God is holy. It, you say holy, you're saying God. It, it's, there's an equals sign there. Um, but it's asking God to do something in us, in our perception of him. God, be holy to me. Make, make my perception of you holy. And it is also expanding to the earth. Lord, be known in the earth. Be revealed in the earth. Be manifested in the earth. Make your name holy among the peoples and among the nations. So this is not just a personal invitation or a personal prayer. It is a corporate invitation, a corporate prayer. The word for Hollywood um, in the Greek is hagiazo. Again, pardon my pronunciation. My parents could do a much better job. But it means to make holy, to consecrate, to sanctify. Um, interesting here, some other forms of the verb are, are a little different, but they give us some insight. Hagos uh, is the object of our awe. The adjective hages means clean. And the verb hazo has the sense of shrinking from. Like they're so incredible that you just you shrink back because it's so awesome. Um, hagiazo, hagios is used about, speaking of a sanctuary or a temple, it's a sacred holy place. So these are all forms of that word hagiazo, which is used Hollywood. Is your name is onoma. It can mean a name, it can mean an authority, it can mean a cause. Okay, so that's as much of the exegesis as I'm going to go in today. Uh, Topically, this phrase, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, relates to worship, which is why I'm standing here talking to you today. Um... And I just want to be vulnerable again. Tuesday night this week, <laughs> I sent my mom a very desperate email saying, I'm freaked out, I'm scared, I can't do it. Somehow I got suckered into doing this by the other forward captains, and I wasn't even really asked to do it, and all of a sudden I was doing it, and nobody said, Joy, do you really want to do this? And now here I am, I'm stuck. It's X amount of days until Sunday. I haven't started yet, and I might have something to say for about 10 minutes. So back me up. <laughs> and, of course, my wonderful mother emails me back, it's okay, we love you, do you need to be released from this? Very kind, very considerate. Well, by that time I had already written, had already gotten some portion of the way through it, and by the time I finished yesterday evening, about 9 o'clock, um, I had enough for about three sermons. So <laughs> uh, the second... <laughs> yeah. The the second one is just going to be saved for another time, so um, that'll be an aftertaste, and hopefully I can get through the most important parts of what I have today. So that's the kind of thing that God does when we worship Him. Um, he blows us away, our expectations. So, um, the band, when we perform for you, we use that word perform because it's an action, not because we expect you to merely be an audience. Um, we're not here because we have awesome voices and we just love to show off for you. We are not here because we learned how to play an instrument and 
um, there's nowhere else for us to use it. And we're not here because you need to be entertained and you've had a hard week and we just want you to relax, sit back, and enjoy the music. Not why we are here. Not. Not at all. Not in the tiniest, tiniest bit. Um, we are here because all of us, corporately, on the stage, off the stage, at home, sick, wherever you are, we exist only for the purpose of worshiping God. The only reason we are here besides that is to find other people and help them worship him. <laughs> so there can be more people worshiping. So worship, um, yeah, let me read you a couple scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So Moses speaking to the Israelites. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus quotes the scripture again in Matthew and again in Luke. Psalm 95, 6 says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Psalm 95, 1 says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Everybody in here is probably familiar with the book of Psalms. It's at the middle of your Bible. It is the longest book of the Bible, and it's completely dedicated to worship. David was called a man after God's own heart. He was one of the most notable worship leaders in history, certainly in biblical history. There's a few others, Asaph and um, a couple others that are significant. But David is the most well-known, and there's the most written about him and by him regarding worship. The book of Leviticus is in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. The Levites is who it's named after. They were 12 tribes of Israel. One of the heads of that tribe was originally named Levi, and then all the children that came for him were the Levites. And their job as a tribe, so one-twelfth of the body, the people of Israel, were completely dedicated to the temple and to worship. Um, coordinating the needs of worship, the temple, cleaning it, you know, all the, all the junky stuff from cleaning the floors to putting the programs out for you to playing you know, with trumpets and harps and lyres, which is the instruments that they used at that time. Um, the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all have extensive sections on the temple and worship, showing us how important worship was to God. He cared about the bells that were on the hems of the robe. He cared about the colors and how they were woven together. He cared about the type of fabric the priests were wearing. He cared enough about all of that to make these huge detailed instructions about them and leave them for the people of Israel. We've lost some of that. We don't really do any of that anymore. And that's fine. Times and culture have changed. But if you were living then, you would have seen how incredibly valuable worship was to God because of all that detail that was put and, and done in a certain way that God had requested. All of this, oh, Revelation, end of the Bible, very last book. John gets a glimpse of heaven. And the very first thing he sees is Jesus on the throne. And he's surrounded by people worshiping day and night. So if we look at the Bible, we see worship is not a little deal to God. It is a big, big deal. And it should be a big deal to us. Nehemiah 9, 6, 9, 6 says, You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all the starry host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. 
You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. So I hope that today, together, we are here to rediscover why we worship. I'm going to read you some scriptures that talk about how we were created to worship. I said earlier, worship is the only thing that we exist for. It's, it is what we are, what we do, what we should be here exclusively to do. Um, here's some scriptures that talk about the purpose of our creation being worship. First Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Isaiah 43, now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. The people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. There's an Old Testament, there's a New Testament. Here we see our purpose. The people I formed for myself, that we may proclaim his praise. All right, I think that we all know um, how to worship, even if we don't think that we do. If you've ever been to, who here has been to some kind of a concert? Did you sing? Keep your hand up. Did you scream? Did you cheer? Okay. Um, somehow that's easier for us than doing all that at church. Um, not sure why. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, all right, another admission. Who sings in the shower? Okay. Um, that's no problem for us. But in a small room like this, where people can hear us, maybe some of you who sing in the shower, who know you will never be up here with a microphone on your voice, are afraid to even be here with the ma- microphone that is the people surrounding you. It's nervous. What will people think? I'll sound like I'm singing in the shower. That would be bad. Um, how many of you have been to a club involving, you know, like the smoking, drinking type of clubs? All right. Getting a lot of admissions out of you guys. Uh, <laughs> did you dance? Okay. Was it fun? Okay. Uh, somehow that's easier than dancing at church. Maybe because everybody's doing it. Maybe because you only have about an inch of space to dance in. Sorry, this is... Um, all right. This one's a little not so uh, vulnerable. Sports. How many of you have been to a live sports game? Ooh. Televised sports game. Every hand. Come on. Televised sports game. Have you watched a televised sports game? Some of you haven't. That's incredible. Okay. Um, did you yell, cheer, pump your fist? I don't know. What do guys do? Ah! Uh. <laughs> Standing up. That would be the women. Yeah, yell at the refs. That's good. That's good. Um, we instinctively know how to do these things. I mean, yes, there's people around us doing them, and so we're kind of following them, but, it, but it's that urge is instinctive in us. It's because we were created for worship. And we will express that because it's in us and it wants to come out. It's what we were created for. Um, So that leads me to the next thing, which is compelled to worship. If we were created for it, designed for it, purposed for it, we will be compelled, forced. We will do it whether we want to or not. We will worship something. Um, 
here's some things we were created for. Breathing. How long have you tried holding your breath? It's going to be a problem. Your body will compel you to breathe because you were created for breathing. We were also created for love, which would, buy, which would be why we experience loneliness because we are compelled to love. And when there is not an object of love that we are comfortable or is not reciprocating, we're going to experience loneliness. We were created for love. We will be compelled to love something. Even if we don't have a person in your life, I promise you there is something you're loving. Even if you're loving your, you know, your dark depression that you're in, you're kind of loving that in a way because you're, you're stick, sticking in there. I'm not saying you want to be there because I've been there and I didn't want to be there. But you, you're kind of in that. Um, eating. And a little more crude, expelling. If you have ever tried not eating or people who are starved to death, if they lock someone who, a group of people who are being starved to death in a room with a bucket and shut the door when they come back a week or two weeks later, however long that it takes, there will be nothing in the bucket because you will consume everything that you possibly can in the effort to prevent your body from starving and dehydrating. Um, peace. We were created for peace. That's why we get so frustrated when there's horrible drivers or somebody makes us late or we have to wait in line at the grocery store because we were created for peace. These are all things that are part of God's nature. They're part of God's kingdom, part of where we will be in heaven. Love, peace. Um, you won't have bodies. You won't be breathing and all that stuff. But um, that's part of why we experience the challenges we do here on earth because we were created for something better than this. Uh, C.S. Lewis contends, we delight to worship. We cannot help doing it. Praise comes naturally to us. We praise what we enjoy. So when God is inviting us to worship him, he is inviting us to enjoy him. All right, the problem with being compelled to worship is when we have difficulty worshiping something unseen, we will turn that voracious desperation for worship to something else. Here's the other problem. That will probably satisfy you but it will only do so temporarily. And so we'll look for something else and for something else and for something else. And this is why some people um, don't meet God until they are in extreme suffering. They're at rock bottom. They've lost everything that they have tried to worship, everything they have tried to fill their lives with to satisfy that desperate need that we were created and compelled for with something else. And at the bottom of their suffering, when they say, well, I've tried that and I've tried that and I've tried that and I've tried that and none of that worked, what is left? And God is left. Um, not that hopefully we have to go to that place to discover God, but you'll see people who have done that. Uh, that's, that's why. Um, one more problem. This consuming, voracious appetite that we have, it will never be satisfied on this earth. Never. It will never be satisfied on this earth. We were created for 24-7 worship in the presence of God, and we will never be satisfied with anything less. So if we can just experience a little bit of that here on earth, just a taste, then we can experience a little bit of what we were created for and, and prepare our hearts, prepare ourselves for being in his presence um, after that, forever. Um, one of the other things I want to say about the nature of our Sunday morning service is that there's different parts to it. You know, we come in, we greet each other, we have a little bit of social time or uh, the Christian word used there, fellowship, which just means socializing with God in the middle of us, which hopefully it is. Um, then we have 
the sermon, or we have the music part of the worship, and we have the sermon, and then we have prayer and ministry at the end of the service. Um, one of the things that I'd like to suggest is during worship, that engages more of our senses than any other part of the service. Um, it should definitely engage our eyes. We're looking at a screen. We're reading words, so those words are impacting us by reading them visually, letting them come into our mind. We are experiencing them uh, with our ears. We're hearing music, and we're hearing more than just words because words are significant, but the, the sound and the chord progressions do something to move you, and that's, that's okay. Um, God made music, so it's okay for that to uh, move us. Um, we're speaking or singing, so we're using that sense. Hopefully, we're also using our hands, our body, our movement, our sense of touch, um, and then there's, you know, emotions and heart and all that. And, and not that you shouldn't be using all of those things to engage when somebody is doing the sermon, because hopefully you are, but worship is more action-oriented. It's more participatory on the part of the audience with your body. Um, and if you are sitting in your chair and missing that, that is just such a tragedy. Um, I already kind of mentioned Revelation, um, but the part about that that's significant is that worship is our destiny. We were created for it, even here on the earth, and we are destined for it in heaven. Um, Revelation 4 says, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. Those are two precious gems in case. Um, a, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled throne. Let's picture that in your head for a minute. Gigantic throne. Rainbow resembling an emerald encircling it. And the appearance of someone who is glittering like he's covered in precious stones. In the center around the throne, there were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and back. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Day and night, they never stop saying. Whenever the living creatures were giving glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, also around the throne, fell down before him who sits on the throne and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. You hear I keep saying that, forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have being. Then the angels come. He looked up and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne, the living creatures, the elders, and the throne. And in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb to be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Here's the problem. We have this really small perception of heaven. We have this really small perception of eternity. We have this really small perception of worship. And the idea of combining those three things sounds ridiculously boring. Where do we go wrong? We've missed it. It's not... It's not that in my life, um, 
high school, college, junior high, um, and as an adult, but, but less so, which is unfortunate, and I know that the Lord plans to change that. I have had multiple encounters, I would say between 5 and 15, somewhere in that range, where I have felt the Lord so intimately, so precious. Um, his presence is so real, it's just one step away from tangible. It's just that close. Um, I've never been in that place outside of a worship setting. And when I'm there, I never want to leave. And that is what heaven will be. We don't have to leave that place. <laughs> All right. Uh, Of the seven petitions of the Lord's Prayer, the first three are on behalf of the cause of God, the glory of his name, the extension of his kingdom, the prevalence of his will. The other four, which are properly, properly placed after God and his cause, pertain to our needs. We need to remember this order. It's part of our problem with worship. We get the order mixed up, and then we just get stuck on the first one. We need to start in the right place. Um, some of our obstacles to worship, we don't understand God. We don't understand how to worship or why worship matters to God. Maybe we're ashamed of ourselves. We don't feel that we're worthy. We sang a song about that this morning. Sin is definitely an obstacle. It doesn't make God farther away from us, but it just makes him seem farther away because our character has moved away from the holiness of his character. Shame, self-consciousness, maybe desire for the acceptance of the people around you. You don't want them to hear um, when you sing the wrong note or you don't want them to smell your stinky armpits when you put your hands up in the air. I don't know. Um, in our culture, uh, worship is, is not really okay. The way that we're asking you, or the way the scripture is asking us to do it here, uh, those other scenarios we mentioned are much more comfortable places of worship culturally, so we're having to, to fight that barrier. Um, we get distracted. There's other things going on in our mind. There's you know other people going on around, and so our, our minds are going somewhere else. Um, apathy, self-pity, maybe having a small worldview, um, suffering, sometimes hype. We feel like this is just all a big show and we got to work up all this emotion and, and if we can't, then we're just going to be apathetic because that's too hard and that doesn't seem real anyway and why would God want that which isn't real. Um, one of the things that I have to stop and say about that because it's one of my soapboxes and I'm not getting on too many of them today but this is going to be one of them. When I was in um, high school, there was a whole big movement, as there usually is sometime in people's high school or college age, of being real, being authentic. And that spilled over, on, spilled over onto my faith and the faith of my friends. We want to be real. We want to be authentic. And we don't want to be fake or hyped or whatever that stuff would be that our you know, parents supposedly are. We want to be real. And the problem is we didn't realize the only thing we were being real to was our feelings. And as an adult, we learn that we can be real to our values. So when I'm at work, and oh, I forgot to bring the picture. I didn't get the picture. Anyway, I got it, but I didn't bring it here. There's a picture of this um, quilt. It's a crocheted thing, and it's got like a black background and colorful roses in the middle. I don't know if you've ever seen this type of quilt. 
And there's this um, man at my work. He's a very successful financial advisor. And during the week, he mostly wears a shirt and a tie, slacks, looks great. But we had a Christmas party, and he came wearing a sweater that looked like this quilt. <laughs> and I'm really sorry I don't have the picture because it really is a much better image. But anyway, um, if I was real to my feelings... I would tell him, you look like a sweater that is made from your grandmother's quilt. (laughs) And if I were to think that it was okay going around looking like a quilt, then what would happen? I mean, if everybody walked around wearing quilts, and, and they're not, you know, huge people who have to be wearing a quilt, which we're sad for them, um, that, that's just weird and you should go home and come back in what you normally wear to work because that's much more acceptable. And honestly, I don't want to look at that sweater anymore. I'm going to throw up any second now. I need to be in another room so I don't see you. Seriously, this would not be okay for me to speak this way to him. And so instead of being true to my feelings, I'm true to my values, which is I care about this poor guy. I'm sorry he's such a loser he wears this sweater. But, you know, he's a real person, and I'll just pat him on the back and say, hey, Merry Christmas. Okay? Um, if, on, if we were driving and every time somebody cut us off, we were true to our feelings, we would just drive our car straight into their car. But I'm true to my values. I don't want to pay for that. <laughs> so we need to remember that when we're in a moment like worship or even doing the right thing that God has called us to do and we don't feel like it. I am not being true to my feelings when I walk in here with the crappiest week ever and I stand here and say, Lord, worship. I had a bad week. I am being real, okay? Get off my back. No. I should be true to my values, which is God is always worthy of worship no matter what kind of the hell I've had this week. He is always worthy of my worship. Always. Always. Even if salvation was the only thing he ever did for me and the rest of my life was a waking hell from beginning to end, his salvation would still be worth my worship every day of my life. So this is the problem. We make it about us. It's not about us. It was never about us. Worship? Never about us. Never. I had a... Hold on. So if you're sitting out here and you've had a bad week or maybe you're just looking at the band and you're thinking, you know... The bass just played the wrong note. That guitar player is really cute. (laughs) It's too loud. Will somebody turn it up? They just missed a freaking solo. (laughs) I hate fast songs. I hate slow songs. This is so boring. (laughs) Since when was this about you? Since when? Or, Or us, yeah. Okay, maybe I have five sermons in here. <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to have to skip a lot of this. So, the... 
in light of that, um, Okay, so there's a few more things that are really important to me to say. One of them is that we, um, worship is, is more than just what we show up to do here on Sunday mornings. It is about what we do every single day. And I know you've heard this before, worship is a way of life. That's kind of a catchphrase. But um, what... I mean by that in, in this particular scenario is if, if every day you were worshiping, even if it's you play one song that you really like to hear on your way home from work or you flip on Caleb or you, you know, break out your Bible and you read a verse, whatever, if you take a moment each day to worship, I guarantee you when you show up here on Sunday, your heart's going to be ready. And it will be easy for you to enter in and experience worship. If you all through the week are doing your own thing, and you're, you know, wanting to tell off the guy with the quilt shirt, and you're wanting to smash into the car in front of you, and you never take time for worship when you show up here, what makes you think that all of a sudden you're going to have this great worship experience? And, and if we were Delirious, or we were David Crowder Band, or we were a Chris Tomlin Band, or whoever that we could be that, you know, is like this awesome worship experience, that will be hype for you. And it might feel cool at the time. And and I think God will say thank you for taking this moment. But if you do that every single day and you show up here, we can have a wrong note. We can have a cute guitarist. We can have a bassist who plays the wrong note. We can have, you know, whatever we have. And the PowerPoint can be off or a word can be spelled wrong in the lyrics. And it won't matter because you're not here for that. And your heart is ready because you've primed it during the week. The other thing is... um, Okay, I want to share one story. Um, This section is called The Cost of Worship. And um, let me read you this scripture. This is from uh, Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Sacrifice. It costs something. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. In 2 Samuel uh, chapter 24... King David had been attempting, the Ark of God had been stolen by some people and he was trying to bring it back to Israel and he had done it the way they weren't supposed to do it and a plague had broken out over the land and um, overnight hundreds of thousands of people were dying. And King David knew that it was his fault because he had specifically disobeyed the instructions of God on how to bring the Ark back. And he was just, you know, horrified at what was happening to his people. God, the prophet came and spoke to him and told him why it was happening. And so he's doing his best to bring the ark back the right way. So he, um, it says here, on that day, um, Gad, who's the prophet speaking to David, went to David and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up, as the Lord had commanded through Gad. When Aruna looked and saw the king and his men coming toward him, he went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. This is what you do when you're presented with your king. Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? 
to buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take whatever he pleases him and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering. Here are threshing sledges, oak yokes for the wood. Oh, my king, Aruna gives all this to the king. And Aruna also said to him, May the Lord God accept you. You know, may your prayer be honored by God. But the king replied to Aruna, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So if you think that it's hard for you to show up here and worship on any given day because you've had a hell of a week or a hell of a life or whatever you have, and I've been there, I know. If it doesn't cost you something, what are you bringing him? And I'm not saying that you always need, you know, anyway, it just... Um, when I was in college, there was a season. Um, it was the fall semester of my junior year where I experienced a very significant um, depression. The, the summer before this, I had decided that I was tired of being Miss Goody Two-Shoes and the pastor's daughter that everybody thought was so perfect. And so I was going to do my own thing, and I was going to experience some of what the world had to offer. Thankfully, I did not experience very much. In fact, it was very, very little. I dated a guy who was not a Christian, and we did a little making out, but no taking off of clothes, which is important. Thankfully, the Lord protected me because it could have gotten a lot worse because I was in a place of rebellion. So the fall after that, I suffered the consequences of my rebellion. And I entered to a very dark, depressed, suicidal time. Um, and I, I didn't, the idea of actually killing myself was not real tantalizing, but the idea of being dead and not being in pain and depression anymore was very interesting and um, very compelling. Um, and there was two things, I'm sure there were lots of people praying for me, but there was two things that I did during that season that I think sustained me. Um, that had to do with worship. One of them is I, um, on the campus, there was a, a music building and there was music rooms with pianos in them and the m music majors were supposed to be the only ones in there so they could have spa a quiet little, like a closet with a piano in it and they could bring their instrument or play or whatever. And I used to go in there and make sure there was enough of them open that if some music majors came in, I wasn't going to get in trouble. And I would sit down at a piano and I would play. And um, in that moment, I could experience peace, and I could experience the presence of God. And the minute I walked out of there, I was just as depressed and suicidal and crappy as I was before I walked in. But I knew that I had experienced that shaft of light, of God shining down on me and making me aware that his presence was still real. I, during that time, some people questioned, does God exist? I, I couldn't do that. Um, I've seen a man's leg who was born too short. I've seen it grow out. I've seen people writhing and screaming with demons be completely sane and set free. I have seen my own sister stop breathing and be commanded to come back to life and begin breathing again. I cannot deny that God exists. So even in that season, I couldn't deny that he existed, but I couldn't feel him. I couldn't sense his presence. I couldn't believe he was here for me, even though I knew in my head he was, because it was just a dark, depressed, horrible place. And doing that once a week or however often I could do it, gave me that breath of life that carried me through. The other thing that I did is when I would try to fall asleep, I would be completely tormented. 
I would have all these horrible thoughts going around in my head and, you know, wanting to kill myself and being so dark and nobody would ever love me and on and on and on. And I, I couldn't stop this barrage of horrible, you know, junk from Satan when I would try to fall asleep and I couldn't sleep as a result of it. And I started putting on a song. It's called Grace Flows Down. I won't play it for you today, but maybe there's a different song that ministers to you. And the chorus goes, grace flows down, grace flows down and covers me. It covers me, covers me, covers me. And that song played all night long, every single night. And at the time, I was just trying to do something to kind of make myself sane. I wasn't really thinking, I'm worshiping God through my suffering. (laughs) But I tell you what, that cost me something. And it was in all my junk I believe, in retrospect, that was honorable to God and that whether or not it was honorable to God, worshiping carried me through suffering. And I'm not saying that suffering is an easy thing to go through. I'm not saying that you haven't had horrible things happen in your life for which you should rightly experience great suffering. But we will not bring to the Lord something which cost us nothing. All right, last bit. This is from Isaiah chapter 43. Um, You know what? Okay, never mind. I'll just read it from here. This this verse begins... um, with basically a love letter from God to the people of Israel. They're in a time of captivity and darkness as a nation. And God writes them a love letter through the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah would have spoken this message to the people, and he may have even traveled to different places of the country speaking this message to the people. So just listen to this as if you're part of the nation of Israel. You're in a dark place. You're in captivity. And the Lord is is speaking this to you during this time of your life. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And these are metaphors for suffering and difficult times. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious and honored in my sight, and I love you. Because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east, and I will gather you from the west, and I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons and daughters from afar, from the ends of the earth, everyone, every single one who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and I made. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. And then he reminds them of the Babylonians who are oppressing them at the time and promises that he will deliver them. And um, then he reminds them of the parting of the Red Sea, how they were pursued by the Egyptians, and the Red Sea swallowed them up so they could 
progress safely toward the promised land, knowing that there was no one left who would be pursuing them. And then he says, the wild animals, they honor me. The jackals and the owls honor me because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen. Again, the people I formed for myself that they may, pro- that they may proclaim my praise. And now here's um, how the people of Israel respond and what God says about that. Yet you have not called on me, O Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. You have not brought any fragrant flowers for me, or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offenses. What a tragedy. Is that all we bring? Is that all we can bring him or we have brought him? I was so convicted when I read this, you guys. This is not an accusation. I was just like weeping. And then here's the Lord's response again. Yet I, even I, am he who will blot out your transgressions for my own sake. I will remember your sins no more. So he writes this incredible love letter, and then he says what happened, which is we said, we don't want to worship, but here's my junk. Take care of it for me. And then he says, fine, I will forgive you. I will save you. I will redeem you, even in that horrible place that we were in. When we continually bring God our sins, our selfishness, when we ignore what he has done for us by salvation, by being a God who is crazy about us, when we ignore this and apathetically sit around during worship, we are breaking his heart. And we are missing what we are created to do. So what is the obstacle for you? Shame, suffering, unbelief, apathy, anger, fear of looking stupid? It's time to let that go. God has written you a love letter, and he wants your individual praise. Nobody gestures like you do. Nobody sings like you do. Nobody has a heart and experience just the way that you do, and he desires your unique, abandoned, extravagant worship. He deserves it. He deserves it, church. No matter what, he deserves it. So um, I just want to give us an opportunity, if you were apathetic and comfortable and you've been bringing God your sins and all your junk and you've been saying I don't have the I don't feel like worshiping and you want to repent then I'm asking you to stand and if you are suffering and in pain and hurting and you have been there it has cost you to worship I know some of you are in that place it has cost you to worship and God is pleased by your heart keep bringing that to him and if you're in that dark place and you need, you need this, you need a revelation, you need to have worship be able to carry you through, then I'm going to ask you to stand. And those of you who have been there, you have paid the cost, and you're feeling peaceful, you're not feeling convicted or sad or messed up, then I'm going to ask you to pray for those who stand. So um, those, are the two, those are the two sides. If you need to repent, stand up. God is calling you to repent. He's calling you to worship. And if you're suffering and you just need some peace and some healing and some love, then stand. And that may be all of us, which is fine. (laughs) 
Benjamin, would you put on the playlist that says Sunday the 10th? Holy Spirit, um, we're going to take some time to go around and minister to each other. We're not just going to move out of here real fast. We're going to put on some music, but I'm just going to pray right now for us corporately. Holy Spirit, we are sorry for when we have brought you our offenses. We have brought you our sins. We have brought you all of our junk. And that's all we ever do. And it's not that you're not there for that. You are. But that's all we do. You know, maybe 90% or 80% of the time, it's just we're just bringing you our junk all the time. Lord, do this for me. Do this for me. Oh, I'm hurting. Oh, I'm sad. You know, oh, I you know, want to shoot the guy with the quilt shirt. Lord, we're sorry. We're sorry for that attitude. We are sorry for having been too apathetic or too far away or too ashamed to worship you as you deserve. And, Lord, we cry out to you. We don't want to be spitting in your face anymore. We don't want to be apathetic about worship anymore. We want to be consumed by you and offer you our extravagant worship that is based on our values of who you are and not based on how we feel. And, Lord, for those who have been in a time of suffering and pain and torment and tragedy, I pray that you will minister to their heart, that you will comfort them and say, I have honored the times it has cost you to worship, and I will honor you. Hang on to worship. Let it carry you through suffering. Just stay where you are. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you, and I'll come around, and some of us will come around and minister to you. And Just stay there as long as you need to let the Lord deal with your hearts.